Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Ropes and Gray Alumni Podcast. I'm Matt Rizzolo, a partner in Ropes and Gray's Washington, D.C. office. I specialize in intellectual property litigation. I'm joined today by my friend and former colleague, Jason Itilby. Jason began his legal career as an associate back in 2008 in the throes of a different financial crisis. He and I started together in Ropes and Gray's D.C. office. Today, Jason is the general counsel of Passport Labs, a fast-growing company based in Charlotte, North Carolina. provides a variety of software solutions, most notably for mobile parking and transit ticketing applications. He's also very active in the Charlotte legal community. Jason, thanks so much for joining me during this uh, rather interesting time. Thank you, Matt. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to our conversation. So given that we're both broadcasting from our respective homes and have multiple children each, hopefully uh, we'll get through this without some child-related interruptions. But uh, if we do have them, hopefully they'll be kept to a minimum. I'll start you off with an easy question. Tell us a little bit about Passport and what you do there. Sure. Uh, Passport is a software company, as you've already mentioned, based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We provide payments, account management, and back office support to parking and transit operators, um, mostly municipalities and interlocal agencies like transit agencies. We're considered a B2B2C company. Our direct clients are these operators of parking and transit assets, but ultimately it's their constituents that interact with our services the most. For example, um, someone like you or me uh, utilizing a park an app on our phones to initiate a parking session or purchasing and using transit passes like bus or rail tickets. Sounds like a really, really interesting business to be in. Now, you're the, you're the general counsel. How long have you had that role? I have been here just a little over three years. I just celebrated my three-year anniversary two weeks ago today, actually. Well, congratulations. How did you end up at Passport? Uh, I started, so I'll say you touched on when I started my career at Ropes in 2008, so it took a little bit of a nonlinear path, I guess I would say, along my way here. Um, I was at Ropes for about two and a half years. From there, I went to a clerkship on the Fourth Circuit, and that's actually what brought me to Charlotte. Um, my judge uh, has his chambers here. From there, I went to another uh, private practice position as a litigator at a firm in Charlotte, then landed at my first in-house position as senior counsel of the company. And it was from there that I came on as GC at Passport three years ago. So what's your day-to-day like as general counsel? I think you'll hear from in-house attorneys a common experience of uh, there is no <laughs> there is no same thing every day. You know, the only thing predictable about our days is that they're unpredictable. Um, I think our dynamic is a little interesting, too, being a, a fast-paced, uh, high-growth high startup um, where we have a very open and collaborative culture, which makes for you know, real-time triaging multiple times throughout the day, um, ad hoc meetings and pull-ups, um, sort of interrupting uh, what might have been what you anticipated working on. So... It's a, uh, it's very fluid, and it makes for you know an interesting and, and nimble dynamic, which I enjoy. There's never a dull moment. I do try to bring some order to my days to make sure I can keep my focus on my most impactful work and move things along. Um, I do try to block off time, periods of time each day where I can catch up on emails and get some work done with a minimal interruption. 
I do manage a team of other lawyers, and I'm also on the company's senior leadership team. So I do tend to have fixed meetings every day as well, whether it's one-on-ones with my direct reports, uh, weekly legal team meetings, or leadership meetings. But every day I walk into the office or, you know, from at this point, uh, just logging from home. And uh, it's always an adventure what, what each day will hold. <laughs> what, what was the most challenging thing for you about going in-house from uh, a firm in private practice? So when you are working in a sophisticated um, law firm environment like at Robeson Gray or, or the firm that I worked at in Charlotte, Warren Van Allen, you are accustomed to, you know, your 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 colleagues, the folks that you interact with, you know, at all levels, from um, you know the legal professional assistant staff, uh, the library staff, anybody up up to the most senior partner ranks. There's a level of um, experience and sophistication and maturity that that is just what we would consider, I guess, table stakes. It's part of what it involves to operate at a high level like that, and you get accustomed to you know, being able to operate from a common framework where things are, you know, not taken for granted, but just assumed. And and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, education or awareness that needs to be ongoing just because everyone's had that level of uh, rigorous training that got them there in the first place. Obviously, in the case of lawyers, um, you know, seven years of training and then, um, you know, the -the on-the-job work and all of that. What's unique uh, about being in-house, and I saw this, I see this at Passport, and I saw this at my other company as well before coming here, is that you end up dealing um, with people at all different levels of experience and and maturity and sophistication. And so sometimes, you know, it it requires you to spend a little bit more time to uh, explain something in a way that's digestible to the person that's on the other side that's receiving it. Uh, So when I'm having conversations with my leadership team, I know that I can shortcut, for example, a lot of you know, background information or, or just general um, awareness building about a particular topic. But when I'm dealing with um, a younger sales associate, you know, someone who um, might not, you know, have a college degree, for example, or it might be their first uh, real job out of college, it, there's a level of uh, having to build a framework for the discussion. And a lot of what I have to do, I feel like, and, and what my other attorneys have to do is is help build up the knowledge base so that we can best support our, the understanding of our colleagues as far as what we're doing and what we need to do from a legal perspective when it comes to where their work intersects with ours. So that's, I think, you know, one of the, the areas that just requires most most of the effort. It's around just building up that knowledge base and making sure that um, we're not, you know, assuming anything about what somebody understands or doesn't understand and just, just make sure that we speak at the at the right level depending on who the audience is. That's interesting. I mean, that's something that I recognized early on as a challenge for a private law firm attorney in communicating with your clients is to realize, sure, the, the general counsel or some of the more senior attorneys there might might have a, a good grasp on things, but if you're dealing with some of whether it's lower level attorneys or non-lawyers, you really have to sort of tailor your your message and the amount of legalese or jargon you use. Absolutely, um, absolutely. In, in your time at Passport, what's the most difficult project you've had to tackle? Well, for purposes of discussion, I'm going to set aside what's ongoing right now in light of uh, this pandemic. Um, I think that will overall end up being probably the most challenging uh, dynamic and, and work associated with, you know, in my entire career, most likely. But um, what 
I would say <clears throat> was um, around this time last year, a little bit later in the year, uh, over the summer, we were advancing the ball on two projects. We, we did a capital raise, which was our Series D, and that was contingent on an acquisition that we were also working on at the same time. So it was a very careful balancing act to advance both of those deals simultaneously and make sure that the timing lined up just perfectly so that we could close on the right schedule to make everything work. Um, I happened to be over, this all really happened in the second quarter of last year. And over that quarter through leave and attrition, I was actually down um, a full-time resource. So we were really operating at 75% capacity on the legal team. Um, so it was it was a rather Herculean effort, not just on, on the legal's part, but, but a lot of the, the folks on that corporate development side of things overall. And you know, when I when I look back on how we pulled it off, it it still makes you know it makes me scratch my head, and I'm like, okay, wow, that was that was pretty interesting. I'm I'm really glad we pulled that off. Um, you know, a different team or a different set of circumstances, and, and it might not have happened. So it's, it's something that continues to fill me with pride. That's great. Uh, moving from sort of one one difficult project to the, the current crisis. I mean, obviously the coronavirus. Uh, spread and the global pandemic here has caused major disruptions for companies, large and small. I mean, what are what major issues are you dealing with? Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, and I think you um, might imagine it, and listeners might imagine this from just the, the nature of the business that we're in. You know, we deal with, um, you know, our bread and butter is uh, parking and transit transactions, and. Um, we, we talk about the company, you, you know, we are recession proof in a way, uh, in the sense that, you know, people are still moving around from place to place, uh, you know, job seeking or still, you know, consuming, you know, goods and services and, and going retail shopping and things of that nature, going to banks and, and utilizing parking and transit services. But what we're in now is, is almost uh, more of a wartime situation where folks are, you know, across the nation subject to shelter in place, you know, stay at home orders, uh, or if not, they're just exercising social distancing guidelines. And, and that the net effect of that is that people are not going out in public. They're not util utilizing parking services. They're not utilizing transit services. And so it's meant overall a very steep decline in our transaction volumes. And that has you know, obviously a direct correlation to our, our revenue model and, and a very steep decline in revenue. So we're having to adjust to that dynamic and figure out, well, what, what, what levers can we pull to curb some of the, you know, some of our burn rates? Um, are there any, you know, short-term revenue um, plays that we can make uh, things of that nature. And so it's, it's really just trying to get as creative as we can, both on the revenue side and on the expense control side, to make sure that we can emerge from this um, and, and hopefully be, you know, in a stronger position. What we hope is that the, the corollary to the steep cliff we've seen will be a steep rise once, um, you know, the pandemic subsides and people do start to get back out there and, and go about their daily lives and, and utilize these kinds of services to the same extent as they were before. But, you know, part of the challenge is that it's, all completely unknown at this point, and we're um, just having to forecast and reforecast and then play out multiple different scenarios and, and how our business will respond to those. It's, it's a um, total mystery how, how things are going to go, and, and that's made for very difficult planning. Yeah, I think we're all we're all hoping 
the recovery will be sooner rather than later, but we'll, we'll have to see. I, I want to take you back to your rope days. Uh, how did you pick the firm and what group did you work in? Uh, I'll take the second part of that first. I was in um, the litigation group, but I think, um, I'm not sure if it's still the government enforcement group, but that's what we were, um, that's what we considered ourselves at the time. Um, and so the first part of the question, how did I pick the firm? It's funny. I was actually thinking back on that. And Ropes and Gray was my very last on-campus interview during that uh, fall of, of uh, second year of law school recruiting cycle. And I had actually, um, you know, fortunately had had some, some, some good luck at that point. And I was like, well, I don't know that I even want to <laughs> keep this interview. I, I was sort of ready to make a decision and move on, but I'm really glad that I did. I interviewed uh, my on-campus interview was with Richard Batchelder, who is a partner in the Boston office. And he and I spent the better part of our 20 minutes together talking about UNC basketball because he was a UNC alum as well. And that really stood out to me um, that, uh, you know, I think he, he felt that, you know, I had a baseline, uh, you know, level of, of smarts and competency to do well at the firm. And, and it was really more about interviewing for fit and culture than anything. And I ended up seeing that dynamic play out, you know, across multiple different interactions along that process. And then in the summer program as well. And um, I was, you know, very impressed, of course, throughout, throughout all of that. And you uh, Brooks really ended up standing out far from the pack as I was going through that process. And, and it was a, it was a great, um, you know, place for me to spend my summer and then start my career. Do you have any favorite memories from your time at the firm? I do, yeah. Um, I, I did mention, uh, you know, I mean, I think, you know, all of us back then, you know, during that period of time, uh, those were some some heydays, you know, that uh, for our class, the summer of, of 2007 when we were spending summer associates, um, it, you know, we had a lot of fun and, and the firm was uh, very keen to, to create for a great summer experience for us. But it's really, you know, I... I as much fun as that was, it, it's more of what, what I came to experience when I was at the firm. And again, just experiencing the, the, the level of um, collegiality and uh, kindness among the, the folks there. You know, we, for a while, had a recurring Friday afternoon happy hour in the office where we would have you know, food brought in, uh, food and, and beverages brought in. And, and it was a nice opportunity for folks to just connect with their colleagues as we eased into the weekend and just, you know, shoot the breeze for a little while. It was, those were some, some really nice memories and it created, uh, you know, some interact, some very meaningful interactions with people outside of the folks that you worked with on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's one thing that I, that I always um, enjoyed. And, and of course, you know, among the associates, we had a really nice rapport outside of the office too, and, and regularly got together for, for social events and whatnot. Um, you might remember we had for a while, um, every holiday period, we would uh, have a progressive party, as we called it, where we would uh, go from, from one person's uh, apartment or condo to the next and sample different drinks and food and things of that nature. So those are, those are some really fond memories that have, that have lingered. Yeah, and some, and some of those happy hours, I recall, progressing to a, a rock band extended happy hour in your apartment. <laughs> that's right that's right hopefully hopefully those videos are gone <laughs> <laughs> i can neither confirm nor deny that <laughs> so career-wise were there any attorneys 
firm who really stood out as influences for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, you know, the, the my my overall impression. I just want to keep coming back to it. My overall impression of Brokes is that it's just you know a, a great place full of very smart and very kind people. And so even thinking to pinpoint, you know, anyone in particular is is a is an exercise in and of itself. But you know, I, I guess um, just thinking back to the work that I was doing and the folks that I interacted with the most at the partner level, um, I, I really felt that uh, Colleen Connery and Doug Hallward-Dreemeyer had, had a big impact on me. Um, they both joined uh, a little after we started, but it was during that period. Um, both came from government. You know, they're obviously uh, very talented in different ways, but but for both of them, just being you know very smart, sharp colleagues who were really invested in your career um, and, and uh, took seriously a mentorship role, but also were just the nicest people too, just really wonderful people to work with, um, you know, very kind and understanding and, and willing to, you know, put in a, a good amount of effort into developing you. Colleen and I had um, a project um, in Hungary for a period of time that required us to travel there over multiple trips. So we had a, a lot of nice bonding experiences as a result of that as well. That's great. So since, since you've gone in-house, I've noticed you've written some articles uh, providing tips to succeed as an associate, both in billable work and then in business development. What advice do you have for outside counsel who are trying to get business from you or, or other folks in-house? What are some things that outside counsel do well or don't do well? Yeah, it's interesting that you asked the question because the, the next article that I was noodling on was exactly that topic. Um, I'm going to take a different spin on it. It was originally, you know, what to do not to get fired as outside counsel because, uh, frankly, you know, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's unfortunately common um, for outside counsel to, um, you know, not deliver. And, and that's another, uh, I think, common experience that you'll hear among in-house attorneys. But I am going to take a different spin on it. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, if you if you go back to the very first article that I wrote on you know the, the tips that are directed towards associate, you know the 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 recommendation I gave there was you know think of it's it's your partners, it's the folks that you're delivering output to, those are your clients. So so it all comes back to that notion of you know who's who's the service provider and who's the client, and and so this is you know. Just thinking, just approaching it with a slightly different lens. I mean, ultimately, so a lot of the the advice that I wrote in there carries over. A lot of it is, you know, put yourself in their shoes, right? So, you know, on what 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 are what are your clients' pressures? What are their limitations? Um, you know, in terms of both capacity, you know, budget, all of those things. When when you're delivering work product for them. What is the, the downstream impact of that? Is it something that they just need, you know, a quick, you know, consumption to report on something, or are they looking for a more formal memo? It's asking the questions when when that's not clear. It's very easy to have you know, runaway projects and budgets that get, you know, thrown out of whack on the in-house side because something took longer and a client wants to, or, or one of your um, one of your law firms wants to bill you for something that was not really what you were you know, not the scope that you were looking for. So it's just really all about figuring that out and, and asking the questions when it's, when it's not apparent. And, and ultimately, if I could say, you know, the one sort of headline about this is do what it takes to make your client's life easier. 
Um, and that, that I think that ethos, so long as that permeates uh, the relationship, that will be what sets you up well for success. Um, a, a slight uh, variation of that too, though, is, you know, and I see this on, you know, being a, a, on the passport side of things where we are, you know, a growing company. Uh, we don't have relationships that are as long or as established. We don't have the sort of insights into budgeting and spend that some uh, other companies might have. We want to be treated fairly, right? We want to feel like we are not considered a, a second-tier client, that our matters are, that our money is just as good, our matters are just as important, that that our outside firms are delivering the same work product, regardless of any of those, you know, circumstances, that, that, we, that we feel valued and respected and that, that the relationship is being nurtured because one day, you know, who knows, it's hard to predict the future, you know, a passport might go public or we might, you know, be hopefully a unicorn company. Um, now that, now I say this regardless of that particular dynamic, but, but, you know, showing your clients that you're invested in them, that you care about them, that you're proactive and practical in the advice that you give them and, and just having those, uh, that mindset underlie the, the relationship is really the key. Sounds like great advice. Uh, one one more question before we start to wrap up here. What what advice do you have for attorneys who are at firms who think they want to move in-house or may want to move in-house one day? How would you say they should go about sort of tailoring their career or network or what have you? Yeah, I think it's, I think you hit on the, the two major aspects of it. Um, the, the career aspect and the networking. So when you're in uh, an in-house position, a lot of us are generalists. Now there are, of course, you know, bigger companies who have uh, their own uh, internal patent council, their own internal employment council, their own uh, internal, you know, you name it, so litigation council. Uh, but that's fairly uncommon for a lot of companies, and and. It, I, I would say that among my peers, that's not a very common structure to their legal departments and that uh, you need to be a utility player that has at least, you know, working competency or an ability to get up to speed on, on a lot of different areas quickly. And so I have looked for those skill sets and, and that range of experience when I've been hiring folks. And, and now, you know, that might be hard for somebody who is in a particular practice group like you know in, in private practice at a firm like ropes where over time you get you know more and more specialized and more and more technical but there are other ways to supplement that too um, I think the uh, for one thing you know pro bono participation or, or other other ways you know participation in perhaps interdisciplinary groups um, for example in the areas of you know data privacy I know at my last firm we didn't have a data privacy team but we, we sort of formed our own interdisciplinary team so I think there are ways that you can maintain a very specialized practice but still have enough exposure to some other areas to, to be able to demonstrate a competency and an ability to have the dexterity of mind to step into an in-house role and be able to deliver um, I will say, you know, one thing that from my own experience, when I was looking to go in-house, the fact that I had, that I was a senior associate with exclusive litigation 
experience, um, I think made it a little bit more difficult for me to bridge to a role where I had more of a corporate practice. And so when I looked back on my own experience, I thought, well, how can I, how could I have supplemented that with some other things so that I could demonstrate more immediate value? Um, Fortunately, I found uh, my first in-house boss who took a leap of faith on me and recognized the potential there, and I was grateful for that, and, and I try to adopt that same mindset. Um, now, uh, as far as the other component to that, the networking piece, a lot of positions, you know, what I've seen play out over the years um, is that a lot of positions uh, end up being maybe not you know, maybe this is an inaccurate term. Not, I don't want to say earmarked, but but typically there there are front runners for these positions almost as soon as they're posted. And and the the best way to prepare yourself for an in-house is for an in-house career is to just be very intentional about building your network and and having the connections to the right folks that can help you get there. It's it's very competitive to go in-house. Um, in-house positions are desirable. Um, I would say they're, in my experience, they're no less work than in private practice, but but they're certainly desirable, and there are a lot of you know lifestyle aspects that make them compelling. And when I've been on the hiring side of it in my role at Passport, it's been an embarrassment of riches, really. I've, I've had some highly qualified <laughs> candidates that I could pick from, and um, you know I, I think uh, having the 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 right connections either to folks in the companies that you already want to go in for, or having um, the right folks that can uh, be champions for you and, and help you open doors that you, um, you know, might not have direct connections to. I think that's that's key. So much of what I see um, creating success in this this world, like like so many other things, of course, is just relationship driven. It's uh, it's having you know good relationships and and people that can vouch for you. Um, on paper, a lot of attorneys can look very qualified, and so to know that somebody has a favorable personal uh, relationship with somebody um, can be a very influential thing in that process. Yeah, sounds like, you know, it's a nice mix of who you know, who knows you, and laying the groundwork through through the course of your career. So, yeah, let's uh let's end on on some light notes with some fill in the blank questions, sort of a lightning round here. My favorite sports team is the UNC Tar Heels. Of course. My ideal <laughs> Friday night is spent. At our local taco shop, having a pitcher of margaritas, um, which I wouldn't share with my kids, um, but we would all be sitting on their patio um, having tacos and then uh, movie night after that. If I wasn't a practicing attorney, I'd be... A historian. Hmm. If someone handed me $25 million today, I would take a sabbatical. Ropes and Gray is the best place to start your law firm career if you want to be only at one firm for your entire career. Well, thanks, Jason. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And for all of you listening, thanks for joining as well. For updates on Ropes and Gray alumni and firm news and additional podcasts, please visit our alumni website at alumni.ropesgray.com. And you can also find our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify.